give you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace that you've given us, God. Thank you, all of you, greatness, God. We love you. We give you thanks. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? Praise the Lord. Good to be with you guys tonight. Thank you, Lord. It's been a rough day. Come on. Working on a transmission. I almost had it done. And then the downpour of that cold rain. Uh, <laughs> so then it was that deep of water. I had to lay in that to get it done. Did you get it done? No, I got it done. There you go. Uh, a a uh, motorcycle transmission or a car? No, a car. Oh, okay. Then you couldn't fit in it. Oh, you were underneath the car then? Yes. Yeah. So, oh, wow. That was nasty. That was nasty, yeah. Yeah, I thought you maybe had it up on a rack. No, 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 I was on my back. So you were, you were putting it in? Huh? You were putting it in or taking it in? No, I was just messing with the linkage. Oh. You know, the guy had somebody else do the filter in the, uh, yes, two days ago. And he got really hard on transmissions. He's, he's good for, he'll get a new vehicle and crash the transmission within three months. Golly. But anyway. Did he go forward and he just slammed to the reverse? He pulled into the yard. I said, well, it wasn't even running. It was just pouring out of the transmission. You know? Hmm. We had a big old puddle. I'm like, I wouldn't drive it. And he got in and barely got me out on the road. And he had a couple miles to go. And then brought it back. Hmm. <laughs> and it, well, it's got one year left. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. It's good to be with you guys tonight. And um, it's a blessing. Thank the Lord for what he shows us every day. By the Holy Spirit teaching us and bringing things to our remembrance. Of walking in the Lord. Um, I know sometimes in the Lord you feel all alone because... Um, there's not many people that are walking with God. Uh, as we know, the Bible says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Uh, sometimes I, 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 the Bible says that Jesus, in Isaiah 53, says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And sometimes I feel that. Sometimes I'll be like, Lord, you know, I feel like sometimes we're just, it's just so few. And he says, and, he, and then he spoke to me and he says, how do you think Noah felt? You know, how many converts did Noah have? How do you think uh, Lot felt in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? How many converts did he have? The Bible said it vexed uh, Lot's righteous soul every day. Vexed means it, tor it was like torture, like torment, to be around the people he was around. You know, I mean, they had no, no place to fellowship, basically. Well, when he tried to fellowship, nobody was in agreement with him. You know, they were all doing their, they were all busy in the world. They had their own doctrines and stuff, and... Uh, they had no real fellowship of brethren that really loved the Lord. They were all caught up in sin. And uh, today's the same kind of day. I mean, this is what we live in. The Bible says that uh, time would wax worse and worse. Uh, as time would go on, men would be deceived and be deceiving one another. And that the truth would be very scarce in the world. There'd be a shortage, a famine of the truths of God. So I don't want to just do all the talking. I want to open it up because I want to have like an open forum since there's not a whole lot of us and be able to help you and uh, let the Holy Spirit help us to uh, learn God's word and to, uh, and to walk in, in the Lord, to help you uh, to understand the scriptures 
And I hope that you're reading your Bible daily and spending time with the Lord. And I'd like to know what you've been reading and what you have on your hearts tonight and what I can help you with. Anybody have something, a testimony, a word, or something they'd like to talk about tonight before we begin? Well, uh, I've been struggling with something the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and what I've been struggling with was uh, the church in the National in here. You know? Okay, uh, and I've... I get a lot out of both. I get a lot out of this place and you. I get a lot. But I also get a lot out of the church, you know. And uh, we've been going in the morning on Sunday over there. And then we do the parking at, uh, in the evening and then come over here. And uh, I get a lot out of both of them, you know. And, and, and uh, uh, when I, they've, they've helped me. A lot. I've, I've been going there for uh, four or five years, and they've got me to where I'm at right now, you know. Uh, um, but I definitely enjoy coming here too. Uh, um, I get out. I get a lot of out of both of it, you know. Um, I'm going to go to both. I hope you don't mind. That's your choice. That's your choice. Um, I, I will. Uh, I will not speak against anyone in particular in respect to others, yeah. but I will speak against the doctrines that that are that are an error to the Word of God. I have to. Yeah. That's my calling, God. That's uh, my and mission. I expect you to. Yeah. And, um, and uh, um, so, so whenever I'm and, and one thing I want, I want you to understand, everybody understand, when I'm speaking against something that somebody preaches, I'm speaking speaking against what they're preaching. Not that individual, yeah. you know, even though that individual can be in trouble for what they're speaking, yeah. it's the doctrines that we must confront by the word of God. And uh, uh, in the book of um, 2 Timothy. I've also gotten to the point where, I mean, I, I've asked God about this over and over. And when, when and I'm, I'm going to talk to Pastor, Pastor Mark about it also. I'm going to tell him that I, I, I don't agree with him saying that he don't, uh, him taking away the prison ministry. And so I, I, I would, you know, you do what the Lord directs you to do. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, don't do it for my sake. You know, you do that if you want to do that for you. But for me, okay. you know, don't, don't, don't do that. Let, leave, let that be. In First in Timothy chapter 4, I'll give you a scripture here. Uh, Timothy was very young. He was, Paul took him under his wing like he was a, a, a son of his, Timothy. And uh, kind of like, oh, Cedric and all. And, uh, and he would, he would, Timothy was a great man of God. And he was really a follower of Paul as, you know, as well as a follower of Christ, of course. And Paul continued to write to Timothy and to encourage him. Kind of like I want to do what all you guys that we do with each other, you know, is he, Timothy was younger in the Lord and he would encourage him and speak to him. And he says here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, verse 12, he says, Let no man despise or look down on, upon you because of how young you are, your youth, but be an example. Is that 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? That's 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. 
but be an example of the believers in word, be an example in what you say, word, conversation, which means the way you live, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Let them see your life of how you're walking and how pure you're walking, how holy you're walking. He says, until I come, I want you to give a lot of attention to reading. Read the word. Stay in the word. And exhortation for teaching. Exhorting people of the proper teachings according to the scriptures. Yes. Don't neglect, neglect the gift that's in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbyter of the church. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy Profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto yourself and to the teaching, to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear you. That's just a powerful scripture, you know, there that Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, by paying attention, he's giving him a real exhortation. He said, first of all, he says, Timothy... Give attendance to the word. Stay in the word of God. Let people see how you live. Be an example of of your purity and your holiness and everything you do and be an example that other people see and they can glorify God in. Uh, Don't neglect the gift that God's giving you. You know, you you have certain gifts. He gives, by 1 Corinthians 12, he gives different gifts to different people. Several is he will through the body. You know, one may have the gift of teaching, another may have the gift of healing, or another may have whatever, different types of gifts. He says, don't neglect that. But he said, first of all, he says, but take heed, watch out for yourself. Watch out for yourself. The teachings, the doctrines. Because by the truth, by you walking, continuing in them, you're going to save yourself and them that hear you. Yes, I agree with you. I would, uh, don't take somebody's word. Study it. Yeah. Listen, and Jill and I were talking about this. To understand and to walk in the fullness of the, what the Lord has for you, uh, there's no way around it. You have to spend time with God and spend time in his word. For instance, this, okay. You could take this one scripture we're talking about here, and we could start off with that and say, well, Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, man, save yourself. How are you going to save yourself and save those that hear you? The only way you get saved is through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. What do you mean save yourself? And you could go and say, well, I'm, I'm really studying the word of God. And go up to somebody and say, man, I'm really studying the word. I'm really giving attention to the word. I'm living holy, and, and so do I save myself. They said, well, you can't save yourself. You know, but the Bible says to save yourself. You see, so, but, but, but when you understand the fullness of the gospel, okay, you got, and I'm going to open this up since, we're, since we, you started there. The Bible says, work out, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? So there's a working out that you're doing. In fear and trembling, you're working out your salvation. It's not just coming to an altar and accepting the Lord and ask forgiveness and you're saved and you, you got your salvation. He says, work it out with fear and trembling where you really like, man, I got to get this. Okay, so it looks like you're doing something, right? Absolutely, right? Yeah. But then the next verse, you want to turn there? You want to see it? You yeah. want to see it? Just go to Philippians chapter 2. First Corinthians, second Corinthians. No, Philippians. Philippians. 
Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12. Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now look at the next verse. For it is God who works, which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now it's almost a flip-flop. He says, you work out your salvation, but it's God who's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And what we are By giving heed to the Word of God. Okay. By taking what the Word of God says and applying that to your life. Working it out yourself. Yeah, by taking the Word of God and applying it to your life and begin to do those things that the Word of God says and to believe those things that the Word of God says. And I'm going to show you some more of how this works, but I want to show you how some people can get on one side of the pendulum and some people get on the other side of the pendulum and they both create denominations by these things or segregated groups. Because, okay. Okay, this is the question. Is it you doing it or is it God doing it? Okay, is it? Yeah, I still believe that. Okay, you believe it's God doing it. What, was anybody else saying anything about it? Is it you doing it or is it God doing it? It's you. I would say doing what? Huh? The Bible is literally a list of things that you have to do to be saved. Okay, so it's you doing it. Okay, he says it's you doing it, and you say it's God doing it. Okay, okay, see what I'm talking about here? <laughs> okay, is it you doing it, or is it God doing it? Everybody's given a choice. I didn't ask you that. Yes, is it you doing it, or is it God doing it? It's I'm doing it. You're doing it? He yeah. says I'm doing it. God given the opportunity, and you're doing it. Okay. Don? Okay, so, so it's you and God. Okay, okay, all right, next. I agree with that. You and God. It sounds, he sounds good, don't he? <laughs> okay. Because God, he, he gives the rules, and then you, you uh, follow them, and then, then he graces you with his, with his mercy because you follow them. Okay. What, what do you say? I say it's um, me and God doing it. Okay. I know you can't hear her. So, 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 you're, what you're saying is you have to do, and God is at the same time doing doing also is what you're saying. Okay, let, let's go to another verse. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter five. Don, you had something. Okay. Okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Those are all good answers, guys. And, we, and, and they're interesting because that's what you get a lot of times. A lot of people don't even say, though, but if it's you're doing it, you're legalistic. You're legalistic, right? You ever hear the word legalistic? Oh, that guy's legalistic. Huh? Legalistic means that you're doing everything outside of God. Like it's you doing it. Like you're trying to keep, keep the commandments. But the way the... The modern day church says you're realistic, I mean legalistic, is if you're doing anything. They believe you're being legalistic. Am I right? Like law, following 
like trying to follow the law, trying to do it yourself, like you're trying to do it. They say you're legalistic, but the real meaning of legalistic means that you're, you're trying to earn your salvation yourself without God, without God. Okay, but people use that in the modern day church to say if you're trying to if you're doing trying to do anything that the Bible says to do, you're being legalistic because you're adding to what God's already done. And it's the finished work. And you hear all this stuff like God's done it all. And and it's all God is not you. That's right. Okay, listen, I'm going to take you another look at first Thessalonians chapter five now. <laughs> trying to walk that straight line. Okay, look at listen yeah. to the scripture. Chapter five, verse what? What? That's right. Okay. All right, listen to this scripture. Chapter five, verse what? Chapter 5, verse 23. My life is not my own. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord wants you to be preserved, kept blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23. Now we're going to 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Then you won, huh? (laughs) No, you didn't. We're not done. (laughs) (laughs) You won, Ben. (laughs) So you see, you can take one side. You can say, is God doing it? Faithful is he who called you who also will do it. So you try to do anything, you're taking the place of God. You're trying to play God in your life. Right? Right? All right, first, first John. That's, 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 that's it for that, for what I'm going with. First John. He likes that verse. He wants to stay there. First John chapter 5. Verse 18. Where we start at verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin, not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself. Uh-oh. Through Jesus. <laughs> keeps himself. And that wicked one touches him not. So here's a man keeping himself. So you lost, Ben. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I've been so ingrained into that, that doctrine that <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Okay, now I'll take you to another. Let's look real close. Go to, go to Jude, a couple of books over. Jude. I say, it really makes me feel like you're dead. Get out the way and let the Lord run your life. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I'm, but I'm showing you something, okay? Hang on. Okay, verse 24 of Jude. Now I'm going to give you another one for you, Ben. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence of his glory and exceeding joy. (laughs) So you like that one? I do, because I I believe that God is directing my my life. And I'm dead to my, my, I'm dead to all that. Okay, James. 
chapter 4. Keep you from stumbling, yeah. Mm-hmm. James what? James chapter 4. One chapter 4? James chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 7. Hey, welcome. Good to see you. This is Cedric's mom. What's her first name? Michelle, this is Michelle Cedric's mom. Hey, Michelle. I've met you before. Michelle, we open. We 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 have an open forum that we're talking about um, whether uh, it's God that does all the work through you and in you, or is it? you that's doing the work and so we've gone through several scriptures of both sides so we're looking at both sides and we're gonna and we're seeing what the scriptures actually saying so we we study the scripture to see what god is saying now we're in james chapter four and we're at verse seven here's an instruction he says submit yourselves therefore to god that's one thing you do right Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Another thing you do. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Another thing you do. You lost again now, Ben. Isn't Right. He waited until the son got on his own feet and went right. all the way back home. Right. When, when the person makes the move toward God, then God makes the move toward him. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's exactly right. Um, then he tells you, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. So there's a doing of yourself. Be afflicted, mourn, weep. So he's ta- giving you all this instruction for you to do. So is it all God or is it all man? Let's see where we're going. Now watch this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah. 2 yeah. Corinthians chapter 7. Here's one, Ben, you, you're going to wrestle with. We went around the room first and asked everybody which way it was. So we had some different answers. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So what is he saying? Cleanse yourself? Let us cleanse ourselves? (laughs) Okay. Here's the key. Um, Second Corinthians six one is the key. Six verse one. See, you saw how some people could say, "Well, it's all God. It's God who works in me both the will and do of His good pleasure. Faithful is He who called me, who also will do it." 
to him who is able to keep me from falling and present me before his presence without falling with exceeding joy. Looks, looks like it's all God to me. But then you got the other side that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Then you got, you know, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's what it says too. Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. Work out your salvation, fear and trembling. All, all these different scriptures in that realm. But here we go. And 2 Corinthians 6, 1 is the key. We then as workers together with him. Ah, when I saw that verse, that was it. You're working together with God. It's not all God. It's not all you. It's you and God. You see that? Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I and my Father will love you and come and make our abode with you. Amen. When you come to the Lord, then the Lord loves you. You say, well, the Lord didn't love me before that. I'll let you deal, deal with that one. But he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I and my Father will love you and come and make our abode with us. John 14, 23, if you need to look at it. You see, so it's you coming. It's you taking the step. But God meets you. God meets you there. So it's, it's like both, okay? A lot of people, what they'll do is, I know groups that, that believe in a sinless life. But they believe it's all faith. You just believe everything. You just don't do anything. Just believe that you have it. Just ask him and believe that you have it. And don't really do anything. Well, you that see, makes, that makes it to murderers, homosexuals, and all the and so you're not really praying, you're not really doing anything. Yeah. You're just believing God's going to do. It. Yeah. I'm just trusting in the finished work of yeah. Christ. Yeah. Then you got another group that's most of the modern day church today that preach that hey, you know that uh, uh, God's blood covers me. It doesn't matter if I sin. It doesn't matter if I do all these things. His blood has covered me, and I'm I'm going to make it to heaven. Uh, because that's what I, because I accepted the Lord as my Savior and I asked Him to forgive me and I'm I'm going to heaven, and but then you got to deal with the whole counsel of the Word of God, and that's what misses that's what is missing when you start not dealing with the fullness of God. Where you see how you could look at it and you could say, yeah, it's all me. I got to do this. You can search certain scriptures and do that, but then you can take certain scriptures and say, yeah, it's all God. I, I just got to trust God. I just got to believe in his finish. I just got to, he's going to do it. He's going to finish that work in me. He's going to do all this. And I don't need to do anything. Because if I do anything, then I'm legalistic and I'm trying to earn my salvation and all this kind of stuff. And you'll hear that. But the word God says, be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Like if you're, if you're not a doer of God's word and you're just hearing it, and you say, well, I just believe it by faith. You know, I'm just going to wait for God to do it then you're deceiving yourself, you see? Because God's saying, remember we talk about all the time, all the things that God, he says, he's, he's about keeping the commandments. Keep, keep the laws that God has, the moral law that God has. You know, he says, he, says, uh, uh, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill it. He said, not one, he said, verily, verily, heaven and earth shall pass away before one jot or one tittle is removed from the law until I'll be fulfilled. He said, and whosoever shall teach men, whosoever shall break one of the least of the, these commandments 
and teach men so shall be called least in the kingdom of God, but whosoever shall do these commandments and teach them shall be called greatest in the kingdom of God, happened in Matthew chapter 5, and it goes on with that. So there's, there's a doing that we do, but the thing is, when you come to the Lord and you begin to walk in the Lord and you begin to, like, like the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 4, it says, striving against sin through the shedding of blood. I mean, that's, that's you doing it. You, you feel like you're striving against that sin. You're putting that sin out in your life. I mean, if it takes you bleeding, that's a doing. But when you do that, God helps you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's a, a, a comforter. He's a helper. He helps you. He gives you strength to go through. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through him. But he requires you to take that first step. And then as you take that first step to repent, it's okay, God, I quit. I'm not sinning anymore. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I'm, not, I'm going to forgive that person. Whatever it might be, I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm done with it. Then God begins to work in your life and help you to overcome that. They got people that quit things on their own all the time. People quit smoking. Quit, some people quit doing drugs through AA or whatever type of things. You know, they'll get a certain amount of, of being able to have strength in themselves to be able to do because that's a God-given thing. But to quit all of it, that takes God. And that's what that's for you and God working together as fellow workers. Amen. Anybody have something, something else on that? Anything? Everybody understand that? So remember 2 Corinthians 6, 1, that you are fellow workers with God. It is God and it's you. Okay? It's important. Paul's talking about dying to yourself and you're really dead, and that Christ is doing it for you. And in these moments, right? Mm -hmm. What? Uh, okay, what are you asking? Well, I'm, not, I'm just saying, let's, let's go through that because it's a good point of, of how you're supposed, to, you're supposed to die to yourself and let Christ do it for you. And I feel like if I, well, I've always heard from, from, from a lot of your people. <laughs> Thank you. But if you're doing it, you're wrong. You it's trust through God and he's doing it. And that's, that's, that's what you, you do. Don, Don knows all about that too. And, and, and that was an error. Don changes it. That's what we were It was very confusing. Yeah, it was. It's very confusing. That kind of doctrine is very confusing. Yeah. Well, we talked about in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, a verse that's very neglected, I think, in the modern-day church is, is that um, godly sorrow leads to repentance, and repentance leads to salvation. And 
the, the modern day church has it backwards. They say salvation comes first and then repentance. And they call it a process of sanctification. But actually the scripture teaches that repentance must come first. Jesus said in Luke chapter 3 in verse 2 and also in verse 5, he says, he says there, he says, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repent means to turn from your sin. You cannot be saved in your sin. Sin must stop to be saved. But when you begin to repent, even before salvation, God helps you with your repentance to turn from it. Now, the error is, and a devastating error is, to believe that salvation comes before that, which is the opposite of what Scripture says, but that's what's taught today, actually. They say, come. You say Luke, verse, chapter 5? Luke, chapter, uh, uh, I'm sorry. 2, verse 5. Huh? 2, what, what, verse 5. What are you talking about? I thought you said Luke 2, verse 5. No, no, um, I'm sorry. I think it's Luke 13 and, and 2, isn't it? I'm sorry. No, it's not. What was he just quoted? Yeah, what was the one I quoted? Huh? Matthew 4.17. Uh, Luke 13.3, what? No, I was, I was talking about Luke 13 and 3. I'm sorry. Okay. Luke 13 and 3 and 13 and 5. 13 and 5. Okay. Yeah. Uh, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That was what I, I said. Okay. And that's Luke 13.3 and 13.5 also. He said it twice right there. So I hear, I hear you saying a lot of the time, repentance is a, a different way it's really important well. it's really important man to understand what repentance is okay and it is and it is because for instance you're 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 doing drugs okay and you re, and you repent repent means a change of mind change of heart and you say when you repent from doing drugs you're saying um I'm not going to do drugs anymore. Your mind tells you, I'm, 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 I'm turning from that. It's a change of mind. I, I don't want to do drugs anymore. That's, and so it causes action to take place. I, I, I repent of my sin. In other words, I'm not going to sin anymore. And so you turn from that. That's what repentance means. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. You, everything is changed. Because the repentance, repentance. Because, because first first of all, you're right, it's not true repentance. And first of all, repentance has to go deep. There has to be godly sorrow, right? You see, you, if you leave out the godly sorrow and try to repent, then it's not going to work. And only God can give you that sorrow. Well, you can come to the revelation. You can come to the revelation of that. You know, you can read the scriptures. Somebody can be sharing with you and you realize like, I remember when somebody first shared with me and they began to share about Jesus and when I was Kevin, I went home and just started crying. I, I was broken. I had, some, I had a measure of godly sorrow there. And that godly sorrow, when you're broken about something, like say you, you go up to somebody and you, and you do something to them and you, and you, you find that, man, it really messes them up. And you, get, and you feel like, man, I'm, I'm really so sorry about that. So if you're so sorry about it, will you do it again? No, you don't want to do it again. You're really sorry about it. 
So, so it causes a repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart. And when that is done, then salvation comes. You were reading about John the Baptist, you said. Let's turn there, Luke chapter 3. Of course, Jesus' mission on earth was, hey, re- repent. You know, you shall likewise perish. You know, he's, it was important that they were repenting. Right after that, he was talking about these different cities he went to that he spoke and he shared with, but they didn't repent. They kept doing what they, they were doing. They might have asked, they might have been sorry for it to an extent. They might have not wanted to do it to an extent, but they, they never repented. They never turned from the action. That's what repentance is. Turn from that action that you're doing in your life. Um, where was I going? Luke 3. Luke 3. Luke 3, what Ben was reading. Okay. Luke 3, what verse? Luke 3, we're going to talk about John the Baptist, who was the one preparing for the way, for the way of the Lord. Um, here he, he says, um, uh, verse four of chapter three of Luke, it says, as it is written in the book of, uh, in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, uh, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. Oh, generation of vipers. Don't sound too nice, does it? (laughs) Bunch of snakes, he says. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who warned you about hell that's coming? And he says, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say in yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God is able with these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also is the axe laid into the rock, the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not with good fruit is cut down and cast into fire. And then they begin asking what they needed to do. But he was telling them to bring forth fruits of repentance before he would even baptize them, before they could have salvation. They needed to bring forth fruits of repentance, a real change of heart. Now, getting back to what I was saying earlier, the modern day church is saying that, no, you have salvation first by coming forward, asking the Lord to forgive you, um, and uh, getting baptized and going through all these different things, but yet... God's going to work in your life to get rid of things in your life in the future. You're going to go through this process of sanctification, and over time, you'll get better and better. But what ends up happening is nobody ever really reaches the better. They end up still falling and still stumbling because they never really had true repentance. When true repentance takes place, then the life is totally changed. And then salvation comes. Don't you think, too, they never reach that place because they're told that really, because we're all born with the sin nature, we're always going to sin? Yeah. We're never going to come to a place of, of true holiness, righteousness, if you're believing in your heart of hearts and you're being told that you never really will arise. I mean, uh, that's true. The Bible's about... Yeah, the scripture even says that whatsoever man believes in his heart, that shall he have. So if you never really believe it, you're certainly never going to have it. Uh, but that's where it gets stuck at, is that place of... Because I've heard preachers even say, man, repentance is not even necessary. You know, and we're getting all this stuff that's going on. It breaks my heart because it's sending people to hell. Can I look at 
Bible. Sure. Isaiah 30, 15 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, the only one of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Mm. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Isaiah they say, what? Isaiah 30, 15. Yeah. And returning and rest shall you, you, be your, your place. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You see, this is this is the key in, in um, Proverbs twenty-eight and thirteen. Ben, it, it gives a good illustration there. Okay, let's read this morning. Um, Genesis. Uh, about Noah building uh, building the ark unto the Lord, and he took uh, every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings unto the altar. And the Lord smelled the savory altar, save, uh, sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, "I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imitation of man's heart is evil, for from his youth, but not from birth." Hmm. Wow, that's good. That was good on that. Like I said, nature, huh? He says it wasn't, it wasn't from birth. That's good. That's well, good, lady. Say, but it I, I added that part in. Not from birth. It's oh, all that oh I thought it said that, <laughs> Larry. Larry, you can't add to it, Larry. All, all, all I got out, what I got out of that was from his youth. Yeah. Once he gets to a certain age, then he can. Yeah. Then you're correct. Then you're correct. Choice. You're correct. It's a choice you make. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded good, though, Larry. <laughs> no, he was adding. <laughs> it's not good. But yeah, uh, what I got out of that was uh, you're born sinless, but once you grow and age a little bit, then you get an evil heart. You're capable of having an evil heart. You're given choices. You're given choices. Am I right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, we were on a whole different... Okay, let's go back to where we were, and then I'll, I'll go back where you're at, okay? Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Ben, it says, He that... Uh, yeah, he that covers his sins, you know, if he, um, that's like saying, well, the blood of Jesus covers my sins, or, you know, he hides them, whatever, shall not prosper. But he that, whosoever confesses and forsakes them what, what, shall have mercy. Isaiah, uh, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Yeah. He that covers his transgression but shall not prosper. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall obtain mercy. So it's not just confessing them, it's forsaking them. So that's the repentance. The repentance is forsaking them. Look at Isaiah 1.
It's where the Lord says, come, let us reason together. Verse 18. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like hemp, they shall be as wool. Verse 19. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So it's not just being willing or not just confessing and not just going that distance, but he says willing and obedient. See, obedience is necessary. Confess and forsake the sin. Because we know that, that it, it, with sin we can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can't go. Sin has to stop. A lot of people tell you a lot of different things and tell you be covered all these things, but it, but it has to stop in our lives. I want to talk to you about one other thing. Anybody got anything on that? You got, no, got, got that? We're going to go to another little, little thing, okay? Okay? Anybody got something else on their heart? Uh, I want to say one thing before I go to another thing. I'm going to talk about you. Me? <laughs> he was with someone this weekend, and... Um, they were talking about suicide. And the person told them that, uh, well, look at uh, Judas. He committed suicide, but Judas went to heaven because um, he repented by taking the money back. And a devil went, got into him. And when the devil got out of him, then is, am I saying it right? Or is it? Yeah, um, basically. <laughs> it's not in there. Yeah, he was, I was talking about the sermon that was preached, and he said his dad committed suicide, and he said, "Yeah, he's in heaven." And so that, I said, I said to him, I said, that, "We all know that if you commit suicide, you, you go to hell." He said, well, "What makes you say that? Like the whole Jews Iscariot thing?" I'm going, "I don't even know what what, what are we talking about." He said, "See, what happened was the devil entered into him." So if somebody has like dementia or something like that and kills himself or Judas, see, Judas got it right because he took the money and gave it back and he repented. But I mean, I just. Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, uh, and I'll give you the scripture. He, he said that um, um, Jesus said that Judas um, was a devil. Yeah. He actually said that. Um Huh? Well, he had a he turned he, he went and turned the money in, you know, threw the money back. But he's kind of like Esau. Even though Esau sought repentance with tears, he couldn't obtain it. He went too far. And and Judas wasn't only guilty of forsaking the Lord or, or getting the Lord crucified. He was also guilty because he was the one that kept the bag of the money. And I can give you a description for that too. And it says that he stole out of the bag of money that they had amongst themselves. He stole the money. And Jesus said he was a devil. And then in Acts chapter 1, they had to appoint another apostle to take the place of him because he had went the other way. Was he at what? Let me ask you a question. Why, why are we talking about that? Was Judas saved at one time? Yes. Yes. He was. He was. He says yes. Okay. What do you say? I think that uh, pastors and disciples of Jesus would be held in higher regard, and and 
there's a lot more bigger penalty for somebody there. Would you just answer the question, Larry? Yeah, I feel that he was sent to hell. Okay, but was he at one time, the question, was he at one time a man of God? Yes. Okay. Because that was the biggest thing yesterday, was saying that you could be on fire floor and get some kind of dementia, the devil enter into you. Didn't, didn't uh, everybody I, I, commit suicide could say that? You could say that about anybody. That's what they stood on. I think it depends... It, whether you're a man of God, it depends on when he started stealing from the cow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about some things that Jesus did with Judas. Uh, he gave, he anointed all 12 disciples. And he said, go preach the gospel. He was able to heal the sick, raise the dead in Luke chapter 10. He was appointed all, he was a disciple of Jesus. That meant that he was a follower of Christ. He had a personal uh, relationship. He had a relationship with Christ, and he was picked as one of the 12 disciples and was anointed to go and preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out devils, and he did those things. I think he was called, but because he didn't obey, he wasn't chosen. Well, at one time, I, at one time from what the Scripture indicates... The Spirit of God was upon him. And you're not going to have darkness and light at the same time. So the scripture indicates at one time that Judas had a relationship with Christ. But then he began to steal. He began to, to betray. And then he, he lost it. And see, that, the reason why a lot of people want to say that he didn't is because a lot of people believe uh, in Calvinism and believe that once saved, always saved. And you can't. You have to say he was never saved because of what he did at the end. But then they also go to route that Ben said where, hey, you know, Judas went on to heaven, which was the, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that in my life. Uh, but lately I've been hearing a lot of stuff I hadn't heard in my life. The reason why is, is I want to take you back to the guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember the guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the one that committed fornication with his mother-in-law, uh, with, his, with his father's wife. Anybody you familiar with that? Go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It was his father's Yes. Yeah, it was his stepmother. Stepmother, I'm sorry, stepmother. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just wanted to see if y'all were paying attention. <laughs> First Corinthians five. He goes and he starts off and he says, "It's commonly reported that you you guys have fornication among you, and such fornication that it's not so much even named among the Gentiles. For one man taketh his father's wife and commits fornication with her." And he says, "Rather than you know, you guys are puffed up. Rather than be all sorrowful about it, chapter chapter two, right? Verse two, right now. Just read verse one." that you, you ought to have done this deed might be taken away from among you. And Paul says, I've already judged him. Now, first of all, okay, first of all, I'm going to ask you another question with this. Are you supposed to judge? Who? Huh? Are you supposed to judge others? Those within the body of Christ, yes. 
You say no. You can be a witness, but you're not supposed to judge. He says you're not supposed to judge. Anybody say you're supposed to judge? Uh, Don? Judge. Judge? You're supposed to judge. You're going to have to make a decision if you're going to be around or not. You're right. You're right. Okay. If you go to someone in the church and you know they... They've got junk coming out of their mouth or they're living with another person and not married or whatever they're doing. And you go and you confront that person and you say, you know, you got this sin in your life. You're not going to make it to heaven if you, keep, if you continue that. The first thing that most of them will come out of their mouth and say, well, you're judging me. Mm-hmm, that's true. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Are you supposed to do that or not? Now, there's a scripture in, in, in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1, it says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged thereof. It says, thou sayest to your brother, brother, let me remove the, 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 the twig that's in your eye, and you yourself have a beam in your own eye. It says, first take the beam out of your own eye so you can help your brother remove the mote that's in his eye. That, what that type of judgment is hypocritical judgment. Okay, we're not to have hypocritical judgment. You're supposedly have taken out the beam out of your eye so you can help your brother remove the note that's in his eye. You see, but if you go around and you got something in your life and you tell somebody else, then you are a hypocrite. That's hypocritical judgment. So the key is, is that to make sure you've had a full repentance, that you've removed that beam from your eye. Because if you've got a beam up in your eye, okay, can you see clearly? Get in front of a telephone pole see what, and see if you can see on the other side of the telephone pole. You're not going to see it. But if you get the beam out of your eye, then you can see clearly to help your brother to get the, beam, the moat out of his eye. So that's called hypocritical judgment. Are you supposed to judge hypocritically? No. But you are supposed to judge. Amen. And I'm going to show you what the scripture says about so, that. So you are saying, no, I'm not, I mean, it's not wrong to, oh, I don't want to run around with you because you're, don't once, once you got the sin out no, of your Okay, I'm, I'm going to show you. 1 Corinthians 5 is going to make it real clear. Okay? So let's, let's read this and make it real clear. Okay, this guy's committing fornication with his, make sure I get it right, with his father's wife. Right? Okay. His stepmother. Okay, good deal. Paul here is writing to him and says, man, I can't believe y'all, y'all putting up with this. I've judged this guy already. And he says, he moves on down. He says, verse 5, he says, Deliver this one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what in the world does that mean? A lot of people today believe that means that you turn him over to Satan and Satan's going to kill him, but he's going to go to heaven. That's what a lot of people believe. Believe that God's going to take him out. So God's going to take this guy that's committing adultery, a fornication with his stepmother. If you look at the last verse of that chapter, it says, he says, put away from among you that this wicked person. So he's a wicked person. And God's going to let Satan kill him and bring him to heaven. And he's going to say, come enter thou into heaven, thou good and faithful servant. He's, a, he's wicked. He's not going to heaven if he dies. And this is not talking about him dying anyway. It's talking about Satan giving that turning over to Satan to get him a good hiding whipping, so that he'll straighten back out. Because in Second Corinthians chapter two, you'll find that same person that was here in Second Corinthians two that is trying to come back has repented and wants to come back to the church. And Paul is admonishing the church to take him back now that he's repented. Okay. 
You want to go there? You want to, can you read that later? Okay, because we'll go on and on. Uh, you can read it, mark it, mark it down and read that later. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's been there. It, it's, it's always been there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. For, for destruction of his flesh. That's... Of his meat box. That, this, that the spirit may be saved. In the so that he'll come to the back to the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Paul's going to, as we go on, he's going to, he's going to explain that a little bit more and more as we go on in the chapter. Yeah. It's just, it's just an old way of saying, letting, let him, let him go hit rock bottom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that's exactly right. It's just saying, let him wear himself out so he'll hit rock bottom. Yeah. And repenting and being saved in the end. Yeah, and that, and explains it, and he comes back in 2 Corinthians 2 if you go back and look at that. Okay, then Paul goes on and he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What does that mean? If you take a little bit of leaven and you got a lump of wheat and you uh, flour and you put it in, what's going to happen? It, it raises up. If you got a bad apple and put it with a bunch of good apples, what happens? They all end up getting rotten. You know what he's saying? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying if you let that guy stay in the church, you're going to have a lot more rotten apples. How many of you have been in the modern day church where they took somebody up in front of the church and said, this guy has been fornicating, living with his girlfriend or whatever, and we're going to turn him over for the destruction of his flesh. He's going to be expelled from the church because we can't have none of that in here. Never. Only once. I'm talking about in the modern day church. Okay. Never. So what happened? So you got a bad apple, bunch of bad apples in, in there. And so you get more and more bad apples. So everybody just feels like, well, I can just keep sinning. Nobody's going to do anything. And they don't do that. When it instructs you clearly to do that. But it's not being done. Now look, let's go a little further. You know, it doesn't really describe whether the process that we're told to do uh, take right. place when they're just kind of, whether one person is going to him and, and admonish him and whether he not repented and then bring a brother with you and then bring it before the church. But it looked like he went straight to the church. Yeah, he went straight to him. Yeah. Paul wrote to him and said, man, y'all y'all should have gotten this guy out. He said, you puffed up about it. You know, you're talking about it like no big deal. He says, man, I'll tell you right, I'll judge this guy. Get, expel him. Get him out of there, you know, and, uh, and turn him over to the destruction of his, of his flesh, you know. Yeah, what I'm saying is, though, is the main thing is it's just not done. Because why? Because so much about numbers. So much about offending somebody. So much about, well, that's not what we do, you know. But, but if you follow the instruction of the scripture, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, and it helps that fella because that fella comes back later and repents. It helped him because he was, he, was, he was shunned from there. All right, let's go on. Um, let's go down in verse 9. I wrote to you in an epistle. You wrote this before. This is uh, ch- chapter 2. Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Yeah, you're in 2 Corinthians too, huh? 
I wrote to you an epistle in another letter, not the company with fornicators. When did he write that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Remember, he wrote that about don't company with fornicators, don't company with unbelievers, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, so forth. Okay. Now, so to clear this up, guys, what we're talking about is, is about um, judging. We started talking about that. So here we are. It says not to company. So now we go down to verse, um, verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's called a brother or sister be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, drunkard, or distortion, such a one don't socialize, don't have social relationships with. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? That means people that are outside the church. What am I have to do with to judge those? I don't need to judge those people that are outside the church. There's no point in judging. They, they know they're they doing wrong. They, they know they're not walking with God. It says, do not judge them that are with, do, do not you judge them that are within? He said, you're supposed to judge those that are in the church. You're supposed to judge them. But them that are without, God's going to judge them. But those, those that are within, you judge them. In other words, if they're not bringing forth good fruit, yeah. they're not a good tree. They corrupt. You have to, you have to, you have to judge. Listen, guys, if, if, if you know somebody in church and they're fornicating, you have to make a judgment call like, I don't need to hang out with them. You just judged them. But that's what they're doing. That's what you're supposed to do. You know somebody's calling themselves a brother or sister and they're living in sin? Go to them. Well, the scripture says trying, trying the different spirits. I think it's the word they use, trying the spirits and testing and, and judging pretty much, I guess is the word. I forget where it's located, but I know you've heard it. Well, he, he says this. He says, by their fruit. He says, he talks about straight is the gate, narrow is the way, few there be that find it, wide is the gate, at least the destruction, broad is the way. Uh, he said, for, for there, there shall be wolves in sheep's clothing. He said, that's what you need to look out for. They look like they're sheep, but they're actually wolves. And he says, right after that, next verse, he says, by their fruit, you shall know them. In other words, if they got stuff that's coming out of their life that's not right, you know them by that fruit. And a good, he says, then a good tree cannot bring forth corrupt fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Paul used to struggle with that because I would like think, well, man, I got some good fruit, I got some bad fruit. And he said, no, if you got bad fruit, you're a corrupt tree. You know, I got to deal with that. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd have to, I would just struggle with that until I finally realized, you know what, it, you know what that, all that means? Exactly what it says. <laughs> it means exactly what it says. If, 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 it's, if it's a good tree, they're not going to bring forth corrupt fruit. There's not going to be junk coming out. See, that's how you're supposed to be able to tell. So if somebody's saying they're a brother or sister and they got some bad fruit, you're supposed to judge that. <sighs> them that are within. Then it says, verse uh, 13, but them that are outside without God judges. Therefore, listen to what he says here. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. He writes to the church, get him out of there. Expel him from the church. Wow, you don't see much of that. It'd be a lot different. Yeah, be fearful and it'd be a lot different church, exactly. Yeah. I want you to look at something else sometimes. Um, we're we're going to close here, but... Wicked person. 
He's a wicked person. What does a wicked person mean? What does wicked mean? Evil. Evil. It means one who breaks, uh, who, who breaks the moral law of God. A wicked person is anyone who breaks the moral law of God. How many times? Doesn't matter if it's one time. That's why he says there's no peace to the wicked. That's why he says the Lord is angry with the wicked every day. <laughs> so, you, you know, he's saying, get that wicked. He calls this man a wicked person. Get him out of here. Real quick, I'm, I'm just going to bring this out. In Acts chapter 5, there's another individual, two individuals. One of them's name is Ananias, and the other one's name is Sapphira. The church has just come together. I mean, they had the day of Pentecost. The church is growing. Thousands of people are coming to the Lord and repenting and turning from their sin. They're all coming to the Lord, and man, it's an explosion of pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Thousands are coming. And they're, they're so excited that what they decided to do is let's sell our homes and our land and everything. And let's just all make one big community and we'll put the, our money that we sell it for, we'll bring it and we'll put it to apostles' feet. They'll divide it up so that those that are real poor, they'll have something. Those that are wealthy, they'll, everybody will have equality. Like <laughs> Start out a good idea. And um, so what happened is um, they had a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they looked at that and they said, Man, that's pretty good. You know, we uh, we just live with, with all these people and we'll uh, sell our land and sell everything and uh, we'll have what we need, you know, and we'll, man, they, they, they're having a good time. It's working. It's doing good. So, but Ed and I, Sapphire, got together and they said, listen, this is what we'll do. We're going to sell our land, but just in case we need the money, let's keep part of it back. Let's hold on to part of the money between you and I. Don't tell anybody. So they went, to the, they went to the disciples of Peter and they brought the money, part of the money that they sold their land for. And they said, Peter, here it is, man. We're coming in with you guys. We sold our land for this amount of money. Uh, we're going to be part of the fellowship here. Uh, we got our stuff. We're going to move in. We're gonna, everything's going to be cool. The man's telling Peter, Peter, Peter says, uh, this is the amount you sold the land for? He said, oh yeah, that's the amount we sold the land for. He said, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? And the man fell dead right there. Fell out dead. A little while later, his wife wasn't privy to what happened. And she comes in thinking, well, okay, everything's cool. She comes in and comes to Peter and says, well, we did it. We're we, we in here. We got the clothes out, outside. We're we moving in. And uh, he says to her, he says, uh, well, did y'all sell the land for such and such amount? She said, yep, that's the exact amount we sold it for. She said, he says, well, the men that just carried your husband out and buried him, they're at the door waiting for you. And they're going to carry you and bury you next to him. And she fell dead too. Both of them were dead. Because they lied to, the, lied to Peter, to the Holy Spirit. And um, the Bible says that fear fell upon the whole church. Paul, wouldn't that be good if that happened today? People started getting scared to sin because the God might just strike them dead. That would really straighten out a lot, wouldn't it? I ask you a quick question. Ananias and Sapphira, do you think they made it to heaven or hell? They went to heaven? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, you're so full. You're just contrary. <laughs> 
Took him out, man. Go to paradise. Yeah, Lord. <laughs> Do you know that that so that I was told sitting down with a preacher, and they told me that Ananias and Sapphira didn't go to hell. They went to heaven. I said, really? They said, oh yeah, they went to heaven. God took them out. Said you might sin and you get caught in your sin and you God's gonna kill you, but He's taking you to heaven. I said, wait a minute. Yeah, he took him to heaven early. He did him a favor. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he says, I'm caught betwixt having a desire to go be with the Lord, which is far better, or to stay here and keep teaching you. He said, it's far better to go to heaven. So he got something far better to go be with the Lord. But the wrath of God was so angry at him, he killed them both dead right there. And then he's going to bring them up to heaven. He says, well done, my good and faithful service. In thou into my paradise. That's how way off, how far off the church you go to says this. I mean, that's how far off this thing is going on. It's just, and it's not just there, it's, it's all over. You know, I'm just talking about the doctrines of what's going on. The Bible says the road to heaven or the path to heaven is thin and narrow, not wide. There's only a few people that are going to be able to go, not a whole bunch. Yeah. So that's the era. So in one instant, God didn't kill the fornicator, what he was doing his stepmother. They turned him over to say, I imagine he had a pretty rough life here on this earth and caused him to repent. But the other one, God just took him out. I'm going to t- I'll tell you what was said today at church. Part of it, he said, you're not going to agree with everything somebody says. So study it, but chew up the meat and spit out the bone. What's that? Is that like Paul's doctor in there? Well, <laughs> well the thing is, is, to me, it's like you might not believe what some completely what somebody says, but we find. I, I, I've, I've been reading says. this yeah. a lot. Good. And and uh, uh, and asking God <laughs> for His guidance. And and uh, I think He's been showing, he's been showing <laughs> me. If you stay with the words and just just. <laughs> Believe and walk with the Word of God and study it enough. God's going to show you. Remember, the Scripture says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but to, the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of a king to seek out a matter. God wants you to seek Him with all your heart. And, and listen, He says in, in Isaiah twenty six three, He says, "Perfect peace will I give to him whose mind is stayed on Me, because he trusts in the Lord." If you want perfect peace, stay in His Word. Trusting God, stay in his word, stay in, in that realm of hearing God's word all the time and meditating upon God's word, you'll have perfect peace. But you're not going to have perfect peace if you're watching TV all the time, if you've got all this stuff, other stuff going on, and you're playing and you're doing all this stuff. You're not going to have that perfect peace. But when you stay in the Lord and in his word, you're going to have perfect peace in God. But you have to, you have to be careful. Paul said, uh, beware of dogs. He didn't mean like our dog. He meant those that will come and they'll appreciate it. And the problem is, he says, remember, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can have a lot of good stuff, but it's that little bit of leaven that comes in that messes it all up. I see what you're talking about. 
Yeah, because so you're gonna have some. You're gonna hear some stuff that's true, right? Scriptural, but then every now and then you hear a little something. That's the subtlety of the enemy, is he wants to inject a little bit of error every now and then, and then start bringing you gradually in. You have to stay with what the Word of God says. You have to be careful with that. That's the thing. Or you will be influenced. That's why he said, purge it out. Get out of that. You know, if they're not, if they're not, if, wherever you're going or wherever you're at or whoever you're around, if they're not preaching from the Word of God and they're just telling you stories or they're giving you self-help things to help you over, it's like a self-help means like they just tell you how to overcome this by giving you all these things that you can do, get more sleep, do all this kind of stuff then that, you may as well go to AA meetings with Ben. You know, because that's about as much help as it's going to give you. <laughs> ben goes because he has to go. He don't want to go, okay? <laughs> that's right. That's that's the problem, Larry, uh, uh, Terry. No, Larry. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's the problem. Is is that when you start getting into? For, for, okay, I'm gonna tell you one thing. It was told to me and told to the congregation, you need to be writing a journal every day. If you're not writing a journal every day and writing in your journal, you're not really living for God. That was quoted exactly like that. I can't find anywhere in here where it tells me to write a journal every day. <laughs> I don't write my, I, I mean. Uh, okay, you're, you're, you're not in God either then. Uh, that is what the scripture would call a commandment of men, not a commandment of God. So you have to lead, you have to recognize that and say, that's no good. Because if it's not backed up by the word of God, kick it out. I don't do that. I don't either. I mean, yeah. Jeremiah 17. I'm sorry? Well, I've, I've heard, I hear people say a lot of things that are not scriptural. Yeah. I hear people say that you'll always sin. That's not scriptural. Right, so I hear people say that you can never be perfect. That's not scriptural. I hear people say that you're born with a sin nature. That's not scriptural. Those are all men's teachings. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get a mix of that with some of God's teaching, that's the real deceptive deception mm -hmm. because it all sounds good. But it's not good because it's the subtlety of the enemy that wants to come in just like Satan did with Jesus when, when with God, when God told her, told Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. What did Satan, what did Satan say? You won't die if you eat of it. It looks good to your eyes. It looks tasty. It's all good. He even twisted what God had told him because it's a little bit of a twist in there or a little bit add to it, take away. Because she came back and says, God said that we're not to, to touch or eat it. God never said not to touch it. But see, the enemy comes and he plants those things in. So you, you have to be careful with that. 
But, um, yeah, men, men will do that. I mean, that's what the scribes and Pharisees did. He, they, they said they were... They injected all these commandments of men rather than sticking with the rather than sticking with the commandments of God, they're gonna stick with the commandments of men. For instance, I'm gonna give you another one. Women pastors. Listen, I love men. I don't I don't I, I love women. My wife's beautiful. I love women, I love women to do things. But where in the scripture does it say that a woman is to be anointed as a pastor? The Bible says the requirement of a pastor in first Corinthians, first Timothy chapter three, it says that she's to, that, that, that pastor is to be the husband of one wife. How is a woman going to fit into that requirement? It can't be. I've questioned that many times. How, how can it be? Yeah. It's, it's totally against the scriptures. It says a woman is not to usurp authority over a man. Mm-hmm. So you're putting them in an authority position as a pastor to be o- over the men and over everybody. Now, if it's a woman that's to be over women, the Bible teaches that in Titus, that the older women are to teach the younger women. But as far as to be a pastor and, and speak over a congregation... That's not what God, 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 God says that. I just want to do what the Word of God says. I want to stick with what the Word of God says. And where but, is that? In 1 Timothy chapter 3. The requirements of a bishop or, or a pastor. 1 Timothy 3. So, so you got these things, and they're doing these things, but it's not scriptural. Right. Everything has to be tested by what the Word of God says. If you go into a church or you go going anywhere, and, it's, and they walk, they, they doing something outside of this Word, and I put up with it for a while where I was going, and I went and I confronted the pastor, didn't do anything about it, I should have left then. Don't stay around there. When they start moving outside the scriptures, then they'll, go, they'll, they'll just, keep, it'll just, it'll just keep going. Now we got a new thing where, you know, said the name of Jesus, a lot of them want to say Yahshua. We don't speak Hebrew. We speak English. Why do you want to call him Yahshua? We, speak, we spoke Jesus for years and years. We live in America. You know, these things, I don't understand. Does it sound better, Yahshua? I mean, we don't speak Hebrew. You know, I, I don't get it. People do things to be different and personalize things. That's why they tell stories at the churches that have three scriptures for it because they want to, it's entertainment. It's, it's That's why the Bible says, the Bible says this in, in, in Timothy. He says, be instant in season, out of season. Preach the word. Said, for the time will come when men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, wanting to hear what they want to hear instead of the truth. Because they want it, they want something that entertains. You know, one thing we need to do sometimes, we'll do this next time, whatever. I want to I want to establish what the church really is, how a church is supposed to be, how the church of the early day was. It wasn't an entertainer. One man speaking. That's why I like to open it up where where you're intermingling and you're able to express yourself in things, you know, and be able to, because I want you to learn the scriptures. I want you to understand what the word says so that you can take that and you remember it. And when you see those things, a red light goes off when somebody accepts something that's outside of the scripture. So you know the scripture. That's why I want to encourage you to read the Bible every day. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. Listen to the word. You know, and stay that way so that you attentive to those things like Paul admonished Timothy. For in doing these things, you will save yourself and those that hear you. If you go back to the early church, you, you'll find that when you read the scriptures, it, it talks about that um, they met in their homes. The early church met in their homes. They were having home churches so that they could, so that they could, they could express themselves. For instance, when Jesus and the disciples they went into temples, and they were able to speak in those temples. Remember? Paul got up to speak, and they, 
Tanya wanted to stone him to death, but it was like a, it was more of an open forum. It wasn't a closed forum where it was just one guy, like like an entertainer type thing, is what we have today. It wasn't so much like that. It was more where there was more intermingling. You know, we, we, we talk about what we, you know, not to forsake the summons together, some is as a man, or some is in, in, in Hebrews 10, like you're supposed to go fellowship. So you go to church, but how much fellowship do you get? You go in, you sit in the pew, a man gets up there and he speaks the whole time, then you get up and you go home. That's not fellowship. We're fellowshipping, right? I mean, we're talking amongst each other, we're, ex- we're explaining the word, we're talking about the word, you're asking questions about it. That's church. Because you're receiving and you're inputting. You're not just having somebody just tell you, but you're able to input and say, and ask questions or, or bring forth something that maybe you have a revelation and, and all these different things. And that's what church is supposed to be, fellowship. And that's what I want, I want to see it as here. And I think we're bringing that forward. Amen. Mm-hmm. I